Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. I haven't had the privilege of meeting you before. My name is Chris uh, and along with my beautiful wife, Jackie, we have the absolute honour and privilege of being the youth and young adults pastors uh, here at Elevation Church Mandra. Uh, we are many churches uh, in many locations, or we're one church in many locations. Sorry, I got that right the second time. Um, and we are the only one here on the West Coast, uh, which is the best coast because it rhymes, obviously. Uh, and because you're here and you guys look amazing today. Um, thanks, Marty. Um, so as Marty said, uh, and as you may have noticed, we are in our series at the moment called Devoted. Uh, I personally have been loving this series because I, uh, I've felt so challenged through this series, uh, and, uh, and I love a good challenge. I, uh, I thrive on it. In fact, uh, my ADHD brain uh, loves leaving things to the last minute because that's, where I'm, that's when I'm in my, like, my like, go zone. That's my peak right there uh, because I, f- I, I thrive on the challenge. And I've, I've loved all the challenges we've had. Um, Marty in week one, he uh, shared uh, from Matthew 15. Uh, and we were really encouraged and really challenged by Marty here. Uh, one thing he said that uh, for all the Premier League fans in here know how difficult, or actually any sporting team really, uh, I know we've got a few um, Eagles and Dockers fans and then a few, and then the Scorchers, let's go, they won as well, let's go. Um, but Marty said so powerfully, when, we, when we're devoted to something, it's because something captures our heart. When that happens, it affects our sleep, it affects our speech, and it affects our lives. We were... Uh, we were told, uh, we, we learned that uh, devotion is a part of our design. Devotion is our best response, and devotion is being emptied so that we can be filled. Then we had Pastor Rach come and bring an incredible message. Now, we weren't here, but we definitely listened to it on the podcast. Um, and can, can I just say, powerful. We have some powerful women in this church. Um, she talked about being devoted to relationships. Uh, we learned that God has called us to do relationships with each other and that life is better together. We were encouraged to choose connection over isolation because if you grow alone, you grow weird. Uh, and then we will ask the question, how much are you allowing to fill up God's cup, your God cup? How much are you allowing to actually fill that up? And when we fill God's cup first, it overflows into every other area of our life. What a powerful encouragement from our incredible pastor. Can I just say, right, if they didn't have the title as location pastors. It would be lead servers. They serve this church so powerfully and so incredibly. So I just want to take a moment to honor you guys and say thank you so much for everything that you guys do. Um, yeah, we're in very good hands. Very, very good hands. Uh, which brings us to week three. Uh, and our focus today is going to be devoted to 
others. Uh, and simply, for all you note-takers out there, uh, the nerds, the nerds rule the world, let's be honest. Uh, so if you're taking notes today, the title of this would be simply them. Them. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word. Father God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity. I pray that these words would not be my own, but they would be yours. That, Father God, you would simply use me as a mouthpiece and that our hearts would be good soil, that you would, uh, you would plant in us a seed that will help to feed our spirit, that we might take that to the nation to our workplaces, to our homes, to our schools, to whatever our world looks like, God, I pray that you would plant a seed in our hearts today. In your name we pray, amen. And amen. Awesome. All right, let's get into it. We have quite a bit of scripture now. Um, for the sake of it, uh, we're going to read from the book of Jonah, but um, it's not a big read um, so I'm going to skim through it, not the CRV, the Chris Revised version today, but uh, it'd be pretty close. Um, but can I encourage you, uh, go home and read Jonah for yourself. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, it uh, has a million powerful messages in there. Uh, we could do a whole series just on Jonah. Uh, can I encourage you, go and be uh, filled and encouraged by reading Jonah. Um, a little bit of a background uh, into Jonah. So uh, Jonah was a prophet, uh, and he came from Israel. Now, uh, we're about to read, he was called to go and uh, speak to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh uh, is a part of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire is northeast of where Israel would be, uh, and they, for generations, would torment the Israelites. Uh, and so there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Jonah would have grown up. Now, they weren't, they, weren't, uh, they weren't in any danger at this time, but uh, I have no doubt in my mind, Jonah would have grown up having loved ones and even family and friends that would have been terrorized by the Ninevites. Uh, and so begins our story. So this is uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to do a bit of reading, but uh, hopefully it'll be like getting your steps in. Uh, if you haven't read your Bible, this might be, a, this might be good for you. <laughs> it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, probably got that wrong, uh, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. Everybody said, oh, you probably won't, but every time I read that, I think, get to the Joppa. <laughs> and, found, and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. Everybody say, paid the fare. Awesome. And I'm just checking to make sure you're awake. We're going to come back to that. So remember that. Paid the fare. He paid the fare. It went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, 
Uh, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. We're going to skip down to verse 11, and uh, basically we're at a point now where the sailors have found out that Jonah is a Hebrew, and that he, and that's not just that's not just like he makes good tea. It's like so. He, sorry. Uh, they find out that he's actually a man of God. And the reason they're in this storm is because he is trying to escape the Lord, right? It says, They said to him, the sailors to Jonah, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temp- uh, tempestuous. Uh, that's, a, I, that's a word I don't ever use unless I'm reading Jonah. Um, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Can I just pause for a moment and highlight this here? We have the man of God running from the presence of God, coming to uh, sailors who have no ties or relationship with God at all, and the man of God is running, and yet we have these sailors who are just about to encounter God for themselves and do what the man of God should have done from the start. I think what a powerful picture that God can use us no matter our circumstance or our situation. Uh, I think that's kind of exciting. Anyway, buckle in. We're almost there. (laughs) Um, Pick me up. Nevertheless, men wrote back. uh, Therefore, they called... Uh, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. The sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. We're going to jump now. Uh, so, like I said, I encourage you, go read chapter 2. We're going to jump over it. It's basically just Jonah in the belly of the fish, praying and, and talking to God. But it's, it's a beautiful chapter. You should definitely read it. Um, but we're going to jump to chapter 3. This is verse 4. Uh, it says, Jonah began to go into the city. So this is after he gets vomited out of the fish's mouth. Uh, going a day's journey, and he called out, okay, we're going to count these, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's an eight-word prophecy. That's a whole lot of effort for eight words, all right? Uh, if he just, it sounds like a toddler, like if you just listened, going to the shop wouldn't have been such a hassle. They called, uh, then it says, and, get this, the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Then we fast forward to verse 10, uh, and it says, when God saw what they did, 
how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he, said, uh, that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. They called a fast. So we're in 21 days of fasting at the moment, right? They called a fast for the whole kingdom to the point where they said that even the cows and the, and the livestock would not eat. How do you get cats, dogs, cows, sheep, pigs, whatever, not to eat? That's a, that's a miracle in itself, right? And it says that God sees, and again, the people who are meant to be influenced by the man of God seem to do what the man of God should be doing himself. Again, I feel like God might be trying to show Jonah something here, but we'll unpack that in a bit. Finally, chapter 4, it says this. Are you still with me? Yes, beautiful, awesome. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord. Now, if this doesn't sound like an angsty teenager, I don't know what does. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Uh, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew you were, uh, that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. What a tantrum. What, that's a temper tantrum if I've ever seen one. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out. So he's going to go have a pity party. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it, uh, he sat under it in the shade till... Uh, he should see what would become of the city. Jonah wasn't even convinced that this city was saved. He, ha- he wasn't even convinced that they were going to do uh, or they were going to stay saved. So he's just waiting for them to be like, for them to slip up and God be like, all right, Jonah, you were right. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it would wither. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. What? Sad. Come on, Jonah. And said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Jonah, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not bore, uh, that you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night and should not I, this is God talking, pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. A couple things we notice in there. Um, 
and we're gonna, I want to unpack this a little bit with a couple of questions and uh, maybe a couple of like pointers for you guys. But the first point I have for you is we need to seek his kingdom and not our comfort. You see, we, we read here in chapter, uh, in chapter 4, Jonah's chucking a hissy fit because the plant that God created for him is now dead when he's just come from a ship that's been saved, full of sailors. He's survived in the belly of a fish. He's come to a neighboring country in which he had no business being in there. He delivered a, what was it, an eight-word prophecy. The whole town was saved, and, more than 120,000 people. And yet his sad, sore part is the fact that the plant God created for him died. How often do we in our lives get so focused on what's happening right here in front of us that we miss all of the incredible things God is doing around us and then all of a sudden our plant dies and we're like, God, how could you You give your toughest challenges to your mightiest warriors? And you're like, and God's like, it's a plant, like relax. Like I've got something, I've got a million greater things for you and you're focused on this Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, when we start to seek diligently the Lord, and that's not seek casually God, that's seeking him in his word, seeking him through prayer. That means when we pray and fast and we're seeking God, when we seek him first, or we empty ourselves, pour first into our God cup, it overflows into every area of our life, and it says, His righteousness and all these things will be added to us. Can I encourage you, your life is more than what we have right in front of us. There's ripple effects to what we're doing here. Can I follow this point with a question? If God was to take it away tomorrow... Would you be okay? Let me repeat that. If God was to take it away tomorrow, would you be okay? If not, chances are you may be devoted to it. If not, chances are it may have lordship over you. It may be sitting on the throne of your heart. Now, I don't, know what, uh, I don't know what it is for you, but it doesn't have to be stuff, right? It could be uh, a mindset. It could maybe be a past wound that you don't want to let go of because it gives you a good excuse not to have to function. It's really quiet, so that must have hit. That was good. Maybe for you it could be work. You see, for me, I feel like it was Jonah's mindset. He was stuck in the fact that even though he knew that God was a good and gracious God, even though he knew he didn't deserve grace, even though he didn't deserve favor, even though he didn't deserve 
to walk and be the hands and feet of God, he didn't think anybody else did, especially not the people that we know have come and tormented us for generations. Not those people to the north. Ugh. For us, is it not those Sydney-siders? Those guys, ugh. Getting with their 24-hour cafes and 24-hour Kmarts and stuff, yuck. Overpriced rent, (laughs) But the reality is, right, he was probably so stuck in this mindset that he missed all the incredible things God did through him. He didn't even, he probably didn't even realize. He gets so sad that instead of asking them to pray with him and then take, like, turn the boat around, he goes, just throw me in the river, just throw me in the sea, like, it's easier. You see, we read a couple of times where God has to strip back everything from Jonah in order to put Jonah where he needs him. This leads me to my second point, and that is, what is God stripping back from your life? You know, if, God has, uh, if, if COVID has taught us anything, it's that we really need to get our priorities right. I remember, I know, I can ju- I'll just speak for myself here, but I know that being forced to stay home really showed me the value of what it is to invest time into our house, invest time into our family. And I'm sure that there's people here that feel exactly the same. We learn what it is to rest and not just to keep going and earn that rest. We learn what it is to rest in God. We learned what it was to put God first because the reality was we didn't have anything else to rely on. We couldn't rely on our own strength. We weren't going to get handouts from anywhere else. So God was the only thing that we could rely on. It really checked our priorities. I know that it wasn't until God stripped everything back from my life as a young person that I recognized that I was ready to step into the calling that he had on my life. I spent so much time running from it because I knew what the cost was And it wasn't until I lost everything that I was willing to give up everything to God. It wasn't until I had nothing that I was ready to give everything. And maybe that's the season you're in. I know quite often we look at our circumstances and our situations and we go, oh, great, I just got fired from this job. How am I meant to pay for bills now? Oh, great. Uh, Billy didn't get into this uh, basketball team he really wanted to get into and we've been training so hard and do you know what can I encourage you maybe God's closing a door because he wants to create space in your life so you might actually let him in now I'm not saying that I'm not saying that God wants to be a mean God but the Bible says that he is a jealous God just like he provided, says he provided the worm to eat the plant. He provided the tempest to come and, and break up the, vo- the boat. He provided the fish to come and swallow Jonah. Quite often, God will provide opportunities for us to make room in our lives. 
instead of trying to fill it with other stuff, why don't we try pouring God into those gaps and see what he would do? Can I encourage you, maybe God is trying to position and prepare you for your purpose. He can't do that if your life is full. This brings me to my third point is God wants to position and prepare you for our purpose. And what does this look like? It looks like this, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. This, there's going to be a lot of scripture here, so feel free to write this down, but I'll read for you. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before I keep going, I might invite uh, Ben up to make me sound a little holy towards the end here. Mark 10, 43 says this, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, as we read these, I, I see a little bit of a, a common denominator here. And that is, if Jesus is meant to be our ultimate example, then his greatest message was to love. And love how? Through being able to serve them, being able to serve others, to be the least of these. Now, does that look like coming to church in rags and saying, oh, what can I get you, sir? Anything for you? Drink, madam? No. <laughs> you, I mean, you can do that if you want, but that's not what God's calling us to. There's a gift that God's put in each and every one of our lives. Has, is everyone called to be a preacher and a teacher? No, absolutely not. But he may have blessed you with a unique skill to, I don't know, be a builder, be a chippy, be a teacher, work in schools. Maybe it's making credible, maybe you're an incredible cook. I love people like that. You guys are the best. But whatever the skill is or whatever the gift is that God's put on your life, the reality is your calling will always be greater than yourself. Your calling from God will always look outward to others. Finally, John 13 uh, says this, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, 
you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. I was thinking about this and I feel like God revealed something to me and I could be wrong, but come with me. God talks about our feet being dirty. Why? Because we need our feet to go out to the nations. Quite often being able to go where God has called us to means our feet are gonna get a little bit dirty. Why did Jesus wanna wash their feet? Because they'd been traveling. They'd been going from town to town. They'd been seeing signs and wonders. They'd been doing miracles. They'd been, they'd been uh, raising people back from the dead. They'd been healing the sick. They had been places and though they had washed and they were clean from head to ankle, their feet were dirty. Why? Because they were taking up the call of God. 